I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we're going to dive into our NRL greatest lineup for the Melbourne Storm. Obviously, 1998 onwards. As always, Clarkie joins me. Clarkie, welcome back, mate. How are we? Very good, Guru. Thanks, Samuel. I'm really excited to jump into this one. We touched on it at the end of our last podcast, but the Storm are such a successful team. Looking at their best lineup is, you know, possibly the best one we've put together yet. Possibly the best one we will put together, and um, just such a successful team that's going to be a lot of fun to discuss and break down. And, mate, I mean, like, it's only a small thing, but also all the rest of these teams are picked from 98 to now. This team's picked from 99. They've even given all the other sides a one-year head start, and it's still the most dominant team we've picked by a long way for me, and we're going to reveal it on a later podcast, but we've also picked a B team, and good God, how good is the B team that we've gone for? The B team could quite possibly be better than a lot of teams' A team. Um, and that's really scary when you think about, as you said, the, uh, the whole other competition has a year on them. The whole other com- the competition has the benefit of not being in AFL territory. Um, there's a lot of reasons, as you were saying previously, why the Melbourne Storm shouldn't be such a success, but they just are, and that's what makes it even more incredible. And, I mean, this B side, obviously, you know, we've got so many stars in the A side. I mean, there's three, potentially four immortals in the A team from the last 25 years. There's about... Probably six Dally M's getting around in this A team. It is unbelievable. And there's still a heap of talent in the B team. I can't wait to reveal that in a couple of days. But we're going to get into our A side for the Melbourne Storm, mate. And uh, obviously, we have got uh, some rules around these. Can you remind us of those again? Absolutely. So for the criteria, guys, rule number one, um, players are only selected where they played their best football. Um, example, Jonathan Thurston would not be selected the Doggies. Must have played in the NRL era, guys, 1998 onwards. Our team structure must make sense, so we're not going to carry four wingers on the bench. All players that are selected are assumed to be in their absolute prime. And, of course, guys, most importantly, the selections are only our own personal opinion. So this is completely subjective, but that's what makes these so exciting, and that's what makes for some exciting debate. Now, mate, dare I say this is the one team that I could not possibly forget to name the hooker, could I? 
<laughs> You'd hope not. Mate, if I do it today, <laughs> it's look, an impressive knock. It is some of my best yeah, work. Definitely. You have had some poor form in that department leading up to this. But, um, yeah, if you forget today's hooker, then, yeah, uh, we're definitely sending you off for a HIA. There's something not quite right there. Consistency is key, mate. Consistency <laughs> is key. Let's dive into the fullback, mate, and... This guy definitely picks himself. I think this guy would pick himself in any team that we were picking if he represented them. And it's Billy Slater, of course, mate. One of the greatest fullbacks we've ever seen. Obviously, we've had a lot of talk recently around uh, Alex Johnson, if he's going to break Ken Irvine's record. And, I mean, the guy won by the spot behind Ken Irvine is, of course, Billy Slater. 181st grade tries off the top of my head. 300-plus games and... I think it should be noted that uh, over his last four seasons, obviously heavily injury affected, Billy Slater only scored about 11 tries in his last four years. So a guy that, if it wasn't for injury, which is a reality of the game, and I understand that, but that's another record that Billy could have potentially held. Unbelievable. Absolutely. I mean, if he wasn't injured towards the end of his career, he most definitely could have broken that record. Um, But still, if we're just counting the modern era NRL, and Billy Slater is the highest try scorer that's played in the modern era, I just loved his perseverance towards the end of his career. You know, after winning Clive Churchill, um, Dally M, World Cup, Origin Shields, Premierships, there was really nothing left for Billy Slater to prove to anyone. But he had something to prove to himself. He had that perseverance, the resilience to come back from pretty serious shoulder injuries. And, um, you know, in his final year, I believe he won the Wally Lewis medal for best player um, in State of Origin, which was controversial. But it still shows that he went out on top not just the Melbourne Storm's best fullback ever, but for me, the best fullback that I've ever seen play rugby league. It's crazy to think, mate, you talk about that narrative at the end of his career when he came back and he overcame so much. I mean, if you take out those last four years and he retires in 2014, I'm sorry, he's still the best fullback by a country mile, isn't he? Absolutely, he is. That's the biggest thing for Billy Slater. I think we talk about with a lot of positions um, and it's a phrase that, you know, possibly is overused among rugby league fans that, oh, he changed the position or he revolutionized, et cetera. But I do think Billy Slater is a genuine example of someone that legitimately did that. And I don't think a lot of fans would push back if, if someone was to say Billy Slater changed the way fullbacks play. And, mate, for me, like, my, my first moment that I, I remember him bursting onto the scene for the Melbourne Storm, I remember him playing centre and in the early days, but the first real memory I have is, of course, 2004, Billy the Kid in State of Origin, the chip over the top try. To think that he would play for another 14 years is simply incredible. It just felt like he was never getting older until 10 years after that moment. Unbelievable. Yeah, they don't call you Billy the Kid for nothing. He definitely had a lot of uh, miles in his legs. And um, that origin try that you bring up there, I think that's possibly the greatest origin try ever. Um, I know a lot of Blues fans will say he was offside for the first kick, um, but Darren Lockyer and Slater himself say that they definitely thought they were onside, so we will take um, their words there. But one of the greatest tries regardless that I've ever seen in origin. Yeah, mate, an absolute freak, Billy Slater. And and for me, I remember the the day, the night, sorry, I was there. It was the 2012 Grand Final, and he scored a try off a pass uh, that, from Cooper Cronk. We'll talk about him a little bit later, but it really just summed these two up and how good they were. That moment, Billy Slater, he just timed his run perfectly against Canterbury that night, and it really broke that game open. Broke the game open, but most importantly is the connection that he had throughout his whole career with... Um, our hooker, which is, you know, obviously a big surprise. We don't want to reveal that too early. And um, Cooper Cronk, the connection those three had was just magic. And it didn't matter whether they were wearing an Australian jersey, a Maroons jersey, or a Storm jersey. 
their the way that they just connected on a football field was incredible. Um, some of the plays that they conjured up together are really, you know, modern day plays. They're in the playbook for a lot of teams with, you know, the fullback coming in against the um, ruck there or coming on the inside ball from the halfback. Um, and, you know, Billy Sater was a big reason why that was so successful. And it just worked so well. And if it didn't work so well, it wouldn't be in almost every coach's playbook to this day. And, mate, I still remember watching them do those plays. And obviously the big three are going to dominate this chat. But, like, you'd be watching it on TV and you could literally see it happening. But there was literally nothing anyone could do to stop it. It was unbelievable for a period of time there. You couldn't stop it because the cohesion was there. But most importantly, the timing was there. They played with each other for such an extended period of time at every level of the game where, you know, other fullbacks might miss time that run up a little bit and might have to stop on their step for just that millisecond to ensure they're behind the halfback. Or maybe the halfback doesn't throw that football at the perfect time. Maybe the hooker doesn't engage the markers perfectly and release the football at the perfect time. But those three had cohesion and chemistry that we'd never seen before in rugby league. And realistically, we might never see it again. Mate, let's jump into our two wingers, and one is still playing in the team currently, Josh Adokar, a guy that I remember him coming through the juniors at the, at the South Sydney Rabbitohs. He went over to the Cronulla Sharks. He was a star all the way through. He arrived at the West Tigers, and I, I remember saying to my mates, watch how quick this guy is. We all got on him first try. I think it was Leichhardt Overly He scored a couple of tries that day, and then a few weeks later, you saw the announcement, Adokar to Melbourne, and everyone just went, oh, Jesus this could be absolutely anything. And I must say, I was expecting a lot from Josh Adokar, but the footballer that he's become in Melbourne, I mean, he, he is by far and away the best winger in our game, in my opinion, and he's one of the best players now. Yeah, he's one of the best players. He, he's a player that just combines timing, finishing ability, and just freak athleticism. His speed is incredible. I think as far as athletes throughout the world go, I believe there's one player in soccer um, somewhere in England that's faster than him. But apart from that, Josh Adokar is, the fastest athlete in the world. Uh, like you said, when we saw him at the Tigers, um, there was obviously that raw X factor and the raw talent there. And then the fact that Melbourne Storm wanted him, I think it confirmed all of our, um, or if anyone did have any question marks, as, you know, is this guy the real deal? I think when Craig Bellamy was interested, that answered um, a lot of questions about Josh Adokar. And since he's come to Melbourne, for me, I think he has become the best winger in the game and probably the most consistent winger since uh, around the 2017-2018 mark. This is another guy as well, man. I mean, we, we, we mentioned AJ before, his incredible try-scoring record. I mean, Fox has played 120 games. He scored 98 tries. He's 25 years old. And, I mean, he's sitting on 98 at the moment. Dare I say within two weeks, he'll cross the 100 mark for tries before he's 26. God knows how many more tries he could score this year. Yeah, I think that Josh Adokar is probably a player where if you told me he could break the record and he was staying at Melbourne for his whole career, I believe. I do think his try-scoring rate might drop a little bit next year at the Bulldogs. Um, I've got no real evidence to back that up. It's just my gut feeling, and I would say other try-scorers such as Nick Kotrick have had their form drop a little bit at the Doggies. But Josh Adokar outside someone like Matt Burton, um, we just don't know how, how devastating that could be. So I wouldn't write him off at all. I'd say he's definitely a big chance to get right up there in the top five. Um, but I would just say if he was remaining at Melbourne for his whole career, I'd feel a lot more confident. Mate, uh, I think one thing that stood out for me with Josh Adokar probably came in the Origin Series last year. I thought he was a top three player in that series. For me, 
he swapped from one wing to the other side and people say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant, you're a winger, it's easy. For me, I think that is so impressive that Fox managed to switch from his normal left side over to the right side and defensively, he made so many huge plays in that Origin Series last year. I remember when I was first watching Josh, Josh Adokar come into first grade, even when he arrived at Melbourne, I never thought that I'd expect him to be one of the more reliable characters in our game. But he is just consistent as all hell, and he is so reliable. It's it's a word that I never thought I'd use to describe him. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, switching between left and right wing is massive when you factor in the athleticism and the timing. I've said that a few times now, but the timing and the athleticism that's required to score those magnificent corner tries that he does um, score. Yes, you can be a great finisher, but when you're stepping off the opposite foot and putting the ball down with the opposite hand, Everything should be off timing-wise and feeling-wise. So for Josh Adokar to make that transition and then completely dominate and outplay his opposition winger Ian Philip Sammy to the fact where Sammy was subsequently dropped the next game, um, that's another incredible aspect of Josh Adokar's game. And I would say there's honestly not too many wingers in our competition that could just make that switch to the other wing and be as dominant as Josh Adokar was in a representative game, um, let alone an NRL game. Mate, let's dive into the other winger, and he's a guy that has recently played for the Melbourne Storm. It is Suli Vunavalu. Now, something to note with him, he debuted in 2016. He left in 2020. The only season that he didn't feature in a grand final was 2019. An incredible record to go four from five grand finals. Incredible record, and I believe that year they were kicked out in the preliminary final against the Roosters. So, um, you know, there's only one season there where he didn't make a grand final, and he was one game off. I've got to be very careful when I say this, but I am a bit younger, but I would say that Josh Adokar and Suli Asifunavalu were the best wing combination I've seen since someone like Lottie Takiri and Wendell Saylor. I know that's a really, really bold statement, but they were just so do- so dominant together, and the proof really was in the pudding for me. Another interesting fact about these two, they actually made their NRL debuts on the same day with Josh Adokar there playing for the Tigers, and so... I know it's a really, really tough comparison there, Guru, but what would you say to that? Would you say that they are close, if not the best wing combination we've seen since Takiri and Sailor? I think I would still take Takiri and Sailor, mate. I think um, they were just... That, 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 that Brisbane team of the early, early 2000s, late 90s, they were essentially playing with an eight-man forward pack. Those two wingers, they were electric, but they were so strong coming out of their own end. And Vunavalu and Adokar, they definitely hold their own coming out of their own end, no doubt about it. But um, they were just different breeds, these other two. I'll be very interested. Obviously, Vunavalu's move to Rugby Union, I don't really pay too much attention to it, so I don't know how well he's going. But I'll be, I will be very interested to see how Fox goes when he moves to Canterbury. Obviously, I brought up his try-scoring record. You made a really good point about him moving to Canterbury. I have no doubt he's going to score less tries there. But I think it'll be a huge test for him going to another club but geez if I'm not going to pick the two Brisbane boys I reckon these two they would be the next best or at least in the top three I mean they've just been so dynamic and I know we're going to mention our B side later on but I mean some of the wingers that we've left out I mean Cora Beatty alone what a footballer he was as well and Marika Corabetti, another uh, Australian wallaby. Um, like you said, it is always interesting to see how players are when they leave the Storm system. So it will be interesting to see if we ever do see Bonavalu back in the NRL and Josh Adokar. But some of the other wingers, I mean, you said Corabetti there. Um, I've got another legend in front of me, Marcus Bai. Yep. Um, I'm sure early Storm fans will remember him. And 
Um, you know, the, the Justin Olin before there was Justin Olin, just such a powerful man. And then the man who I believe has the second or third most Storm games ever, Matt Geyer, yeah. um, another very handy player there for them for so many years. Definitely not as athletic or dynamic as, you know, the, the wingers that we've selected, but definitely a consistent winger that more than did his job on many occasions for the Storm. Mate, uh, let's move into the centres and <laughs> two talents here that are rivaled by very few. Let's kick off with G.I. first, mate. And he's a guy that uh, he won a premiership. He won a Clive Churchill at 5'8". We know how good he was at fullback. For me, though, he's probably the greatest left centre I've ever seen, uh, especially in the Origin Arena. He was unbelievable. But for the Melbourne Storm, he was just always so... Uh, he's just such a great football. I'll never forget being at that... 2007 grand final and he scored a try that I'll never forget. Brett White puts him through a little hole and he just he's dead on with the fullback and he literally just swerved around him at such a young age to dominate on such a big stage. He was such a special footballer, GI. Yeah, in 2007 as well, his body hadn't fully filled out yet. He was still relatively, I wouldn't say skinny, but he had definitely had a more lean build to what he developed into as a fully grown adult and to win Dalian 5 of the year when it was, you know, it wasn't evident at that stage, but there was an inkling that he would be better and more natural in the senses. And also, Dalian Rep Player of the Year, it's massive. When I went back and looked at my top five players per position for the 2010s for that entire decade, Greg Inglis was the only player I had top five in two positions. I had him top five for fullback and center. Um, and that's, I mean, you look at the players in the 2010s, that, that really says all you need to know about Greg Inglis. Probably the most devastating center we will ever see, um, especially in rep games. Um, and, you know, I'm prepared to say, and this is another really, really bold call, but I'm going to get it off my chest. Queensland do not win eight in a row if Greg Inglis, born in Kempsey, actually plays for the Blues. I know that's a really bold statement, but I, I do believe that to be true. Well, I actually completely agree with you, to be honest with you, mate. And it's not so much about what Queensland lose, but it's also about what New South Wales gain and what else Queensland has to deal with. Um, Yeah, I I recorded a podcast just the other day before Origin 3 kicked off talking about players that you could bring back from from Queensland from the last 20 years into the current side. And Greg Inglis was one of the first ones I chose to have a strike centre like him in your side. Just so dynamic. I'm I'm just having a look at his career here. And obviously, GI, he debuted in 2005. Now, four years later in 2009... Um, he's got a Clive Churchill medal. He's got a Dallium 5 out of the year, arguably playing out of position. He was twice the Dallium Rep Player of the Year uh, and a Golden Boot in 2009 as well. Uh, just unbelievable. He also had a Ron McAuliffe medal, a Wally Lewis medal. This is all within the first four years of his career where he played a little bit of wing. He played a bit of center. Oh, shit, we need a 5-8. Let's throw Greg in there. Unbelievable. I think the only knock about Greg was becoming an immortal and when we're talking immortals, we're talking the best ever, so this really is no knock. It's the fact that he never did win a Dally M, I don't believe. I think the the top gong eluded him throughout his career. Yeah. Am I correct in saying that? It yeah, has. Yeah. So I think that's really the only thing that hurts Greg Inglis. But apart from that, he literally achieved everything you can um, in rugby league. Freak athlete. One of the best players we will ever see play the game. Um, there's just really not much else to say about Greg Inglis. Just one of the very best players of all time. Mate, let's move to our other centre and uh, a controversial character, but his time in the NRL was just unbelievable. Uh, Israel Folau burst onto the scene for the Storm in 2007, uh, played 27 games, scored 21 tries. Uh, I just remember him playing out on that right edge, and he was just unstoppable for Melbourne. 
Yeah, via draft forward. You definitely got that right. A little bit controversial. Um, back in rugby league now, actually playing on the Gold Coast for the Southport Tigers. So that's interesting. But then he's leaving again next year back to rugby. So is Ralph is one of those players I wish he, we never lost him? Um, one of those players that, you know, it, it seems we went through a period there where we lost some of our best players to rugby union, um, someone like the Sunny Bill, Israel Folau, Sam Burgess for a stage there, etc. And so I really wish we did get to see Israel Folau's career um, all within the NRL, but it wasn't to be. The biggest thing for Folau in that 2007 season is, for me, it's the best rookie season we've seen. Um, and he was 17 years old, which is absolutely insane when you think that, you know, someone like Joseph Sawali at the moment at 17, playing very consistent football, playing very good football, but he's not equaling the top try scorer whilst he's 17 alongside someone like Matty Bowen, who was a complete legend at that stage of the game. So Israel Folau, for me, the most dominant rookie season we have ever seen in the NRL. Mate, you mentioned he was 17 years old in 2007 when he made his debut. In his first five games of first grade, he scored eight tries, including three doubles. As you mentioned, he was 17 years old at that point. It is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And with the rule change where, you know, you need to apply now to be, um, to play in the NRL under the age of 18, I personally don't see anyone ever doing anything like that again. I think Israel Folau was in the perfect system at the perfect time. I think he was the perfect athlete. Um, and I just think he just had freakish X factor. He turned up against everything that you want in a rugby league player and game and the situation for them to thrive in. It all came together perfectly for that 2007 season. Um, so I'm prepared to make another bold call that that will stand as the greatest rookie season um, that we will ever see from um, a teenager in the NRL. You mentioned, obviously, he's playing for the Southport Tigers at the moment, and uh, one of my good mates is playing halfback up there at the moment, uh, Jake Trindle, obviously the son of Daryl Trindle, Tricky Trindle, and he actually set him up for a try on the weekend, and he just said, he said to me the other day, he's like, fuck, I just had to pinch myself. You know, this guy that I grew up watching, playing, and just, like, he was just such a freak and such a juggernaut when he was a kid, and now he's laying on tries for him. Unbelievable. That is unbelievable. And he, would he be related to Braden Trindle from the Cronulla Sharks currently? I think they're a distant cousin of some description. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure on that. I'm, I'm just, I've just got that 2007 season open in front of me. I mean, he played 27 games. He lost three of them. Start to a career. It's unbelievable. And I'm looking at some stats here as well. He broke a number of club and NRA records in that season. Um, the most He broke Billy Slater's record for most tries in a debut season. He won the Rookie of the Year that year. Won the Premiership. It was obviously later stripped. Um, wow. I just I just don't think that anyone, especially a teenager, even 18, 19, I just don't ever see a rookie coming in and having the impact and freak athleticism that Israel Flau did ever again. I mean, as we said a few times, his first season, 21 tries. Uh, the next year, he has his worst season by a lot, 15 tries. Crazy to think 15 tries in a season is your worst one. He then won his last two seasons with Brisbane, 17 tries and 20 tries. So, worst season, 15 tries in a year before you're 21 years old. Unbelievable Israel Flower, an absolute freak. Let's move into the halves, mate. And uh, at six, we've got the mad dog, Cam Munster. Obviously, a guy that, uh, since his debut, I mean, I think his worst finish has been a prelim final, which is unbelievable. Played in a couple of grand finals. Uh, had a few disappointing grand final nights as well. He's lost a few. He's had a couple of brain explosions in the midst of that. But I think 2020 really came of age, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what the Melbourne Storm do at the back end of this season. Scary to think with all these legends 
we're able to pick Munster now and what he's probably halfway through his career. Yeah, Cameron Munster's a real interesting character because I think when he first came into a fullback position, he brought a lot of flair, uh, flair sorry, a lot of finesse, a lot of uh, raw talent and, and exciting X factor. But I think Cameron Munster now has really grown into a leader and someone who can really control a rugby league game. But I think that he definitely still has that X factor and that flair to his game. And so when he combines them all, like we saw in the 2020 Origin Series in Grand Final, he's just about an unstoppable player. I know he does still have the odd brain snap or brain explosion in his game, but I definitely do see Cameron Munster. I think he's 26, 27. He's still quite young. I do see him becoming a future captain of the Melbourne Storm there and um, going down as one of their best players ever. Mate, I think he could be the Queensland captain within two years, to be honest with you. I think he is... His career, it is just going up and up. This Origin Series has obviously been a massive speed bump, but, I mean, when you have a look at the team that he's playing with and the team he's going up against, it's a it's a pretty tough gig in reality. And, look, I've always held the opinion, and as he gets older, it's it's probably not as right as what it was a couple of years ago. I still think fullback's his best position. I think when he plays fullback, he's just electric. I'll never forget uh, the, 2020, no, the 2019 Origin Series, I was at Game 3, and they had a couple of injuries. That was a game I think they brought Normie in, and they moved Munster yep. back to fullback. And, mate, that night, I, I, you know, I, I don't go to too many live games anymore, obviously with COVID and whatnot that's going on, but I, I don't remember watching a guy that every single time he held the ball, it was just like the entire field froze. He's an absolute freak Munster, and I think he's he's a guy that you, you don't appreciate as much until you see him live, in my opinion. Yeah, in that 2019 game, every time he touched the ball, he looked dangerous. And when we talk about a player that can switch late notice to fullback in an origin game, you know, Cameron Munster is the only player in the NRL that springs to my mind right away at least. And then I know that they say in football, you're only as good as your last game. And 2020 hasn't been his best origin series personally, but it hasn't been a good series for any Queenslander. So I don't think you can hold that against him. And I do go back to the 2020 series, sorry, um, where... He was knocked out in the second game. He virtually didn't play, and he was still named player of the series. To have such influence in two games and win the Wally Lewis medal is incredible, and it it just shows how important he is to this Queensland side. And um, at the time of us recording, Origin is tonight. If Queensland are any chance, Karen Munster is going to have to have the game of his life, but he's one of those players that he's more than capable of doing so. Mate, the more I hear like the older generation talking about the way Wally Lewis was, I, I, I had Tony Durkin on my podcast who was the Rugby League Week uh, editor for Queensland for 20-odd years and saw the entire career of Wally Lewis. And he sort of said, you know, he just he coasts through club footy. He just does what he has to do. Then he gets to origin and he gets to the final series and he just goes to another level. And whenever he spoke about that, it just reminded me of Cam Munster. And as you said, as good as your last game, this origin series is not a great example of it in any way, shape or form. But I just think Munster's got a whole new level to go to. As you said, he's 26, 27. He's heading into the real peak of his career at a team that is always going to be successful. I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of Cam Munster's career unfold. And I mean, mate, he's just one of those guys that blokes want to be around too, isn't he? He definitely is. I think the thing for the Melbourne Storm this year as well is I don't think Cameron Munster, and this goes back to what you were just saying about not not necessarily coasting, but going to a new level when it comes to the finals. I don't think Cameron Munster's played anywhere near his best football so far for the Melbourne Storm this year. He's their best player. And with that being said, they are first ahead of the competition on track to break the record for the most amount of points ever. Um, I mean, I don't want to get too far off, off, off I guess, um, topic, but then, you know, you also go, Harry Grant hasn't been there the whole year. 
Papenhausen hasn't been there the whole year. Um, but most of most importance, Cameron Munster, the Storm first player, has not played anywhere near his best football this year. And they are first and they are on track to break records. Um, that just shows how great the Melbourne Storm are and also how great Cameron Munster is. Mate, let's move to the halfback and another guy that picks himself, Cooper Cronk. Uh, one of my favourite players of all time. I've always said that I think that there's been better footballers that have played halfback, but I think as an out-and-out halfback, Cooper Cronk, he's the best seven I've seen. If you if you let me pick any other position of any other players ever, I'll take them. As long as you can give me Cooper Cronk, I know I'm going to win the game. He was just an unbelievable player. Dallium halfback of the year, 6-11, 2012, 2013, 2016. That's five Dallium halfbacks of the year across 10 years, and he wasn't the sort of guy that was a big highlights package sort of fella. He was a kick to corner. He's a guy that is criminally underappreciated for me. An unbelievable career from Cooper Cronk. Definitely. And I mean, let's go to the last years of his career. Um, from 2016, um, 2017, he was in the grand finals there with the Storm. And then he was in the grand finals winning back to back there with the Roosters to finish his career, to finish on, you know, being in the last four grand finals or whatever it was, two Dalian medals. The real interesting one for Cooper Cronk and the one that I always, you know, scratch my head, I compared him to Jonathan Thurston and put their numbers and their stats next to each other. And people made the argument that, you know, Cooper Cronk's not the best because he was always in a great side and Jonathan Thurston wasn't. And if JT was, then he would have the numbers. I think that's a little bit silly because we're, you know, we're, we're going with semantics and what ifs. Whereas for Cooper Cronk, the proof is in the pudding. He's never had a bad year. He has always won with every team he's played in. And so I do think there is a real argument for him being a better player um, than Jonathan Thurston and having a better career than Jonathan Thurston. Uh, I definitely think there is an argument. I'm not sold that that's 100%. But regardless, Cooper Cronk, without a shadow of a doubt, um, top one or two halfbacks of his generation. I'll tell you what, I'm definitely sold on it. Give me Cooper Cronk every day of the week. I think it's incredibly unfair that we look at Cooper Cronk's career and all the success we've had and say, oh, yeah, but he was always surrounded by stars. Whereas we look at Jonathan Thurston and we say, oh, yeah, but he was always surrounded by duds. I mean, does the halfback not play a role in how well the guys around him play? I, I think Cooper Cronk is treated really unfairly when a lot of people look back in history and they just think that the halfback doesn't play a role in a team. He doesn't play a role in how a team plays, how the guys around him play. I always think it's incredibly unfair. And as you said, the what-ifs, I just, I mean, what, how are you ever going to decide who's better than who if you're just going to constantly throw what-ifs? It just takes you nowhere. You need to look at the evidence. You look at what Cooper Cronk did. I mean, you can split Cooper Cronk's career in half. You can go from 04 to 2012. That is a championship career that would be probably in the top 30 or 40 players ever. Then you look at his career 2013 onwards. I mean, a heap of grand finals. He wins three competitions in a row. No one's done that since Peter Sterling. He also wins them with two different teams. I'd love to know the last halfback that won three premierships in a row with two different teams. It is just... It is completely unheard of. And you look at the Origin Arena, I mean, he took one, one and a, a half a series off, and that was the one that the New South Wales Blues won mm-hmm. out of 10 attempts. I mean, the writing's on the wall, isn't it? The writing is on the wall when you put the facts forward like that. I mean, Cooper Cronk, I think the origin, the origin debate and argument you put forward there is probably the most convincing for me. When we talk about the Queensland dominance throughout that period, there were so many close games where Cooper Cronk's field goal got them over the line or Cooper Cronk's choices at the end of a football game got them over the line. 
the dude is a straight winner. And there's just not many players where you can split their career down the middle and they have two Hall of Fame careers within it. Another argument I would put forward um, in the Jonathan Thurston versus Cooper Cronk debate is people say Jonathan Thurston didn't have a strong team with him when he won the premiership. I think that's false because at the time, it just off the top of my head, Matt Scott and James Palmer were the Australian starting front row. So I don't buy that argument. And then I would say further to that, when the North Queensland Cowboys made the grand final in 2017, Jonathan Thurston wasn't there. So I don't buy the argument that Jonathan Thurston was playing with Duds and Cooper Cronk was in a super team. I'm, I'm not going to say the teams that Cooper Cronk played in were worse than JT's. I think JT's teams were worse, but they were not duds by any stretch of the imagination. But when people make the comparison between the two, they really play on that point. And I don't think that's fair because when you look at the straight facts, when you remove opinion and you only are concerned with facts and statistics, Cooper Cronk is the most successful halfback of his generation. And it's not even close. I think the other side of that as well, mate, is people say, you know, he always played in good teams. And oh, he went to the Roosters. They were already a good team. But, like, mate, have people not noticed that the really good coaches, they go and get the best players? They don't go and get the good players that are playing in poor teams. They go and get the best players. There's a reason why Trent Robinson, one of the smartest rugby league minds in our game, targeted this guy. They had Mitch Pearce, son of a legend, a guy they thought was the future of the club for 10 years. They they persisted with with him for so long. The moment Cooper Cronk came on the market, they went, nut, we're done. We know that he's the guy that can win a comp. They won two in a row. You look at that 2018 grand final where yeah, we're coming up against the Melbourne Storm and people say, oh, he was a passenger in that game. He was a passenger, but he was so important to that team that they knew they just needed him on the park. For me, that is the ultimate compliment to Cooper Cronk that that champion Sydney Roosters team decided, shit, we need this guy on the field. Without him, we're in Barney Rubble. I think it's the ultimate compliment to Cooper Cronk and I think people twist it the other way to suit their argument and I think it's completely wrong. And especially when you consider further to that point that Mitchell Pearce was a top five halfback in the league at the time. Um, you know, up there, probably, you know, third or fourth best in the league. And so for them to, you know, ditch a halfback that's top five and for Cooper Cronk to come in and suddenly they've gone from falling short, you know, a couple of seasons in a row there to winning back to back. That shows that although Mitchell Pearce was a top five halfback and Cooper Cronk was the number one, the, the gap between them was huge. The gap between them at that stage was, you know, like Nathan Cleary now and Daly Cherry Evans or other halfbacks that you would say are second to Nathan Cleary. Possibly bigger. The gap between Cooper Conk at first and, and everyone else, every other halfback in the top five at that stage in terms of success and winning was massive. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's massive. Mate, let's dive into our front rowers. Oh, I've been talking about Cooper Cronk for about three years on this goddamn podcast. People must be sick of it. <laughs> let's dive into the front rowers, mate. We've gone, the first guy we've gone for is Jesse Bromwich, still part of their current team. Um, another guy that I think is criminally underappreciated in this Melbourne team. He's been around for a long time now. He's won for a number of premierships. He has just always been so reliable. And I think we, I think we literally get an eight out of 10 from Jesse Bromwich every single week. And I think we take it for granted. 
do take it for granted. The thing with Jesse Bromwich was, without a doubt, from 2010 to 20, uh, 2010 to 2020, that whole decade, he was their best prop, and now he's their captain. So that's massive for me, a player that you know has gone from the best forward um, to now their leader, the core of that team, the man who leads them every single week alongside Dalvin and those two together. Jesse Bromwich is one of the most underrated forwards, and it's a lot of work that he does off the ball. If you go back and look at the stats as far as decoy runs are concerned and all the little one percenters you want from your prop forward, I think Jesse Bromwich does those every week. I think he's done those every week, week since he debuted, and I don't think there's many props in the competition that we could say that about. May you have a look at his career. He's played 263 games for the Melbourne Storm. His first season, he only played five or six games, a handful of footy games there. If you take those out, you're looking at 260 games across 11 seasons. I mean, he's averaging like 24 games a year or something ridiculous in the front row. I understand that, yes, they play a lot of finals footy, so he probably gets an extra game or two every year, but... I mean, what he's put his body through and the way that he goes about his footy is incredible. I'm looking at it, and last year he played 19 games. It's the first time that he's played less than 20 games in a season, and it was a comp that was reduced by five or six weeks. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think when when I'm looking at this team here, I think there's actually a real argument for Jesse Bromwich being the greatest Melbourne Storm forward ever. Obviously, um, you know, their back line's pretty handy, and obviously, you know, you'd include Cameron Smith there. But I think... If you include Cameron Smith as a spine and then you separate outside back and then forward, as if you were to separate the team into those three areas, I, I would say Jesse Bromwich probably is their greatest forward um, that the Melbourne Storm have ever had. Mate, let's dive into the other front rower. And, of course, a legend of our game, won premierships with three different clubs, arrived at the Melbourne Storm their first year in 98. The next year, they won the premiership in 99. Simply incredible. Glenn Lazarus, one of the greatest front rowers we've ever seen. I think one of my favorite moments in rugby league history was seeing him do the cartwheel at the end of the 99 grand final. A pretty controversial grand final. Sort of the, the forgotten grand final for Melbourne. They've had so much success over the last 15 years. We sort of forget they've got this premiership in 99. And just quietly, it might be their greatest achievement to win it in their second year in the premiership. In Melbourne? I mean, how on earth was rugby league successful in Melbourne? Unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I think when we compare that to other clubs as well, I'm not sure on the exact number, but a team like the Parramatta Reels that entered in 1947, I think it, they were at the bottom of the ladder for a long, long time there because, you know, you've only got to look at the Gold Coast Titans. Starting as a fresh team in an already established competition is really difficult. And so for the Melbourne Storm to win in just their second year is a fantastic accomplishment for the club. I do believe when the Melbourne Storm were first formed, Glenn Lazarus was one of their first signings. I could be wrong with that. But if I am correct, it really shows, you know, they went after this guy for a reason. I believe his nickname was the Brick with Eyes. He was a little bit before my time. So a lot of my um, memories of Glenn Lazarus are highlights and et cetera like that. But um, I believe they called him the Brick with Eyes because he was just such a tough man such a tough player and the perfect signing for the Melbourne Storm. The perfect signing for any club if you were starting a team fresh. Having a leader and one of the best props that does his job every week in Glenn Lazarus and more um, just sums up the perfect signing for me. And mate, like we spoke about Cooper Cronk before going from a good club to a good club. I mean, you look at the career of Glenn Lazarus. He won grand finals with Canberra in 89 and 1990. Went back there in 91, lost to the Panthers. But three grand finals in a row there. Then he signs with the Brisbane Broncos. They win 92 and 93. So he won four of five grand finals. Um, Simply unbelievable. He returned in 97 for the Super League. They won that one as well. And then he arrives at Melbourne. And within two years, he's winning another premiership. And... 
He might not be a halfback or a five-eight or a fullback or a hooker at one of your key spine positions, but I mean, this is no coincidence. One of the greatest players we've ever seen, in my opinion, Glenn Lazarus. No coincidence, and I've got in front of me here that it, um, his form for the Melbourne Storm in '98 and '99 got him recalled into the New South Wales and Australian side. I, I can't speak to that. I'm not too sure there, but um, you know, that's obviously also shows that he was never a passenger at this team. He was a genuine leader, one of their best players, because. The simple fact is you don't get recalled to origin and for your country unless you're in some solid football form. Now, mate, let's move to the hooker. I've remembered it. Shocked the system. Cameron <laughs> Smith. Uh, it simply couldn't be anyone else. Uh, I, I think that there's probably two of the three or four best hookers in the game playing at the Melbourne Storm right now. To think that, you know... Cameron Smith has had a role in what these next two are going to do. Harry Grant and Brandon Smith. I mean, the Cameron Smith legacy lives on after he retires. Pre-retirement, it was like nothing we've ever seen before. Dallium Hooker of the Year, 06, 08, 11, 12, 13, 16, 17, 19, eight years being the best hooker in the game, the Dallium Hooker of the Year. And of course... That award's given based on daily end points if you've got the most for a hooker. So think about the amount, like the amount of points that are being stolen off him from Cooper Cronk, from Billy Slater. It is just unbelievable what he achieved. The biggest thing as well to consider with Cameron Smith, Cooper Cronk, and Billy Slater's career, that was so even that with the way the Dalian system works, it actually was quite difficult for those players to earn the Dalian points because they had to be better than two of the other players that you know were the best at their position in the world at the time. When, when you look at Cameron Smith and you describe him using one word, leader. He was just a magnificent leader. Um, you know, you could probably split Cameron Smith's career three times. And if we talk about the top five hookers of all time, he, he probably fills three of those five positions. First player to hit 400 games. Um, never played below, only ever played below 23 games in a season on two occasions, which was his debut season and 2010 due to injury. Highest point scorer ever in NRL history. Over almost 100 rep games when we talk about his games for Australia and the Maroons. You know, if you play 100 games of NRL, it's a great career. If you play 100 games of rep footy, you have something very, very special. And that's before we even get to all of these individual achievements such as the Dallium um, positions of the year, the Dallium medals, the captain of the year, the rep player of the year and everything else he won, which, you know, we could really go on all day. Just, you know, if not the best player we've ever seen in the game, without a shadow of a doubt, the best hooker we've ever seen in the game. And that's what's so great about Cameron Smith because every other position in rugby league, there is genuine debate as to who was the best ever in that position. When it comes to hooker, you can shut the door because we would all agree it is Cameron Smith. And that is truly, truly amazing. Mate, to make it even more impressive, he arrives at Melbourne in 2001, 2002. He comes from Brisbane. He was a halfback at that point. Richard Swain was the starting hooker for Melbourne. He, he played his first year at halfback alongside Scott Hill, uh, who I had on my podcast a few months ago. Talked about the first game with Cameron Smith, and he just couldn't believe how calm and controlled he was. Um, to think that, you know, Cameron Smith and Cooper Cronk, they essentially arrived at this club not being the position they went on to be the greatest in that position our game has ever seen. I, 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 like, not arguably with Cameron Smith, arguably with Cooper Cronk. I understand that, but... Just an incredible career. And Cameron Smith is a guy that we've spoken about so much over the last year or so. We probably don't have to give it too much more attention. But, I mean, he would be the starting hooker I would pick in any team I could ever pick without a doubt. An absolute champion of our game. 
Let's move to the back rowers, mate. And one of them is still a modern-day Melbourne Storm player and a guy that I think is incredibly underrated. But whenever I talk to other players that are still playing now or have played in the last years and they talk about this guy, they hold him in such high regard. I know Branko Lee, he obviously played on this edge with Felice Cafusi last year. And he flat out said to me, if you could give me any edge back rower, it would be Felice Cafusi. And then... He didn't really say it on my podcast, but we spoke off mic, and he sort of said that grand final last year, like, and people bag Viliami Kikau, but he came into that game with an intent to have, you know, 25, 30 hit-ups in that game. He was everywhere, and every time Felice Cafusi would just be up in his face, and he would just be bending him, snapping him in half every time. So many drop balls from Viliami Kikau in that grand final. They came off the back of the efforts from Felice Cafusi. I think he's one of the most reliable guys in our game. I'm a huge fan of him. Yeah, Felice Cafus should even be here when you look at some of the back rowers that the Melbourne Storm have had or to even be in the discussion for other people if they didn't agree with this selection. Just a little my head, you know, there's players like um, Stephen Kearney, um, Kevin Proctor, um, Kohu Harris. The list goes on, really. They've had some incredible back rows. So for him to even be in the discussion, uh, let alone our pick for a starting back rower for the Melbourne Storm, sums up uh, what sort of player he is. His career from start to finish at current date has been absolutely incredible, no matter what jersey he's had on, whether that's Storm, Queensland, or Australia. Um, probably, you know, a really, really underrated back rower in the current game. Um, a, a back rower that offers such a unique skill set to other back rowers and a skill set that doesn't always show up in the stats. Sakavili Army Kikau that you mentioned, he's always going to have those tackle breaks or, you know, the big tackle, the moment that catches the attention of fans. But someone like Felice Cafusi does so many one percenters every single week, and that's probably underappreciated by fans when you put it that way. And I think, to be honest with you, mate, it's underappreciated by other clubs as well. I mean, he's now played 145 games there. He's played in four or five grand finals. And, I mean, I've never really seen any other club go really heavy on him to try and bring them to their club. And I can never understand why. You normally see these Melbourne back rowers, they get a new one every two or three years that emerges, then they sign a multi-million dollar deal somewhere else to go and play. This guy, he's just stayed there the entire time. And maybe he's choosing to, I don't know. But I feel like there is not enough attention from other clubs trying to get a hold of this guy. I definitely agree with you there. He has flown under the radar when it comes to being off contract. And, you know, we've never really heard too much of whispers or rumors of other clubs being interested. And one thing that, you know, is really interesting to consider, Dale Finucane's been there probably, uh, you know, a similar amount of time to Felice. I'm not sure on the exact dates, but he's wanted by half the NRL right now. Yep. Uh, whereas I've never really heard of too much interest from Felice Cafusi. So that, I'm really glad you brought that up because that is a really, really surprising fact and something that I can't wrap my head around either. Mate, let's dive into the other back rower. And for me, another guy that I think is criminally underrated, a guy that um, probably didn't finish his career as strong as what, you know, the first half, probably the first three quarters realistically. But Ryan Hoffman, when he was in his prime, which is what we're sort of picking this side off, he was one of the best edge back rowers in our game, if not the best edge back rower. There was a period there around 2008, 2009, where he was just untouchable. I remember I had Finchie on the podcast and he spoke about the first try that Ryan Hoffman scored that day. He put him through a hole to score it and he was just such a strong back rower playing for New South Wales at the time. And I think we forget just how good Ryan Hoffman was at his peak. I think it was his timing. A lot of his timing when he, you know, hit those holes at the perfect timing and that's what allowed him to score in the 2009 and 2012 grand final. And if I'm correct in saying, both of the tries were really similar. So the opposition, you know, they knew it was coming because he'd scored tries like that all year and they were so similar 
in both grand finals, but they couldn't stop it just because his timing um, was so great. And when we talk about the Melbourne Storm, as you said, they churn out a lot of back rowers and they are always consistently wanted at other clubs. Take Kevin Proctor and Tohu Harris um, for an example there. Ryan Hoffman had three stints at the Melbourne Storm and every time he wanted to come back to the Melbourne Storm, even in 2018 at the absolute tail end of his career, the Melbourne Storm re-signed him and they didn't have to think about it. And I think that really shows uh, what sort of a clubman he is. For the Melbourne Storm, when they have so many talented forwards and so many other players that want to go there, for them to always say, Ryan, you know, you want to come back? Yep, we'll make a spot for you. We'll make salary cap room for you. I think that's a really, really great compliment to the Hoff. Mate, without a doubt. And I know when I spoke to Finch, he talks about that the greatest achievement of his career was just being a Melbourne Storm player, being a player that they were happy to have there and a guy that they wanted to be a part of their system. And Ryan Hoffman, he was always one of those guys. I think he's low-key one of Craig Bellamy's favourites of all time, just quietly. Diving into another one of Craig's favourites, the lock forward in our team. He's obviously playing State of Origin later tonight. He's come in in Game 3, hasn't played Game 1 and Game 2, and straight away is the vice-captain for the New South Wales Blues. Says a lot about him in hot demand at the moment. Dale Finucane, what a champion. Yeah, what's really surprised me with Dale Finucane is he's been off contract all year. And as soon as Craig Bellamy mentioned in a press conference, Dale is one player I never want to lose. And that is the ultimate compliment you could ever get from a rugby league coach for Craig Bellamy to say that about you. Now all of a sudden he's back in the Blues team. Now all of a sudden eight other teams want to sign him. Uh, And so I just think that's crazy that one comment from a coach can influence an entire competition and rep teams to such an extent that, you know, when we talk about someone like Dale Finucane and Craig Bellamy, that's the sort of influence these men can have on our game. But Dale Finucane has been in that many grand finals. I can't remember off the top of my head. He's probably played more grand finals across his career than he's missed. Um, And that's incredible to think about it, even if it is slightly under. The amount of grand finals he's been in. Do you have the number available there? I'm not quite sure, but it's a lot. Mate, I don't have it in front of me, but I know that obviously he played uh, at the Canterbury Bulldogs. I believe he played in the 02 and the 14 grand final for Canterbury. He then made his way down to Melbourne, and what that means he's played in five or six grand finals since then. I mean, he'd be pushing seven or eight grand finals at least by now, which is incredible. And you mentioned, obviously, that there are so many teams chasing this signature, which, you know, as they should be, but. When you look at him compared to other, you know, front rowers and middles in the modern game, compared to your Junior Paulos, your Payne Haas, like body size wise, just the eye test, there's such a difference between the two of them. But Dale, he just brings something different, doesn't he? He does. And I, I think Dale Finucane's a winner. I think we can say that about a lot of players in this Storm team. But I, I everyone just think he's a winner. Uh, it's not coincidence that, you know, he, he's had so much success at the Bulldogs and now the Storm there. And he's just been so consistent. I can honestly never say I've seen Dale Finucane play a bad game of football. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, a great and incredible players of our game, we can all remember at least one shocker. Um, you know, for almost every player, you can remember one stinker, one shocker, one absolutely poor game um, that springs to mind. But I can't do that for Dale Finucane. And I think that just sums up how consistent he's been. He has been a staple of this Melbourne Storm Premiership um, run that they've had for so long now. And that, that's just no coincidence for me. Dale Finucane is an incredible leader and he is incredibly consistent. And when you combine those with his overall football ability, it sums up the sort of player he is. And that's why we see him get the results um, that he's had for so long now on the footy field. 
Mate, let's dive into our bench now. And as we as we always say with these, the bench has to make sense. So we normally go for a utility, then three forwards, and we sort of try and have two middles and an edge player as well. Our utility that we've gone for, and as I've said a few times, that 99 grand final, I think it is incredibly uh, underrated. And it's sort of forgotten about in the history of the Melbourne Storm because they've had so much success since then. But obviously their halfback, he also won the Clive Churchill medal that day. One of the guys that the original Melbourne Storm core was built around was Brett Kamali. And... I mean, we've got to remember that his time at the Melbourne Storm, he was obviously the Dallium halfback of the year in the year 2000. I mean, Joey was playing that season as well. Uh, and also, he kept Joey out of, not out of these rep teams, but he kept Joey at hooker and Jeff Tuvey on the bench in a lot of these rep teams, New South Wales and Kangaroos sides. I think people forget just how good BK was when he was at the Melbourne Storm. I, I do agree with that. And I think a lot of that's due to Cooper Cronk and the rain and the mortgage he had on that number seven, Josie following him. But Brett Kamali, for his time at the Storm, although it was only three games, it was absolutely sensational. Um, any man that holds the immortal Joey Johns out of the number seven jersey in any team uh, deserves to be in a greatest lineup. Um, and, you know, to have him at 14, again, that shows how successful the Melbourne Storm have been. Another thing about Brett Kamali's time at the club, incredibly tough, incredibly durable. He only missed three games in the 2000 season, and he played every game in 98 and 99 and he won the Clive Churchill medal. So when you put up those stats there with Brett Kamali, when we talk about players being selected at their peak, when you're winning a Clive Churchill at halfback, you're obviously at some sort of peak. And uh, Brett Kamali for us, uh, there's obviously a ton of options for this utility jersey for the Storm, but BK definitely deserves his selection here. And I think, as you said, mate, people forget how young he was when he arrived at Melbourne. I mean... He played for the Hunter Mariners the year before. He played 10 games that season. The two years before that, he'd played three games in the 95 and the 96 season for the Newcastle Knights. He'd played 16 games at first grade before he arrived at Melbourne. Fast forward a year later, he's taken a new franchise in a rugby league desert of Melbourne and won a premiership and won the Clive Churchill medal, then backed it up with the Dally M halfback of the year. Unbelievable BK, a sensational player, a great bloke as well. Mate, Jersey 15, um, another front rower that... I think he's probably remembered for the, all the wrong reasons, to be honest with you. I think everyone probably remembers Robbie Kearns for the uh, the incident with uh, Big Adrian Morley when he was representing the Kangaroos. But Robbie Kearns, he was a champion player. He was the captain of the Melbourne Storm for a long time. I remember when I was a kid, he was sort of the guy that I looked at that was the Melbourne Storm as they sort of emerged into this, uh, this period in the 2000s. He obviously won in 99 as well. I believe he was part of that squad. Retired in 2005, just before this unbelievable era started. But 280 first-grade games, not all for the Melbourne Storm, but I think it's definitely where he played his best footy. Yeah, I think he had it uh, in front of me here. I've got 169 games for Robbie Kearns at the Storm, which is you know a, a massive amount to spend at, a, at the club. Um, an inaugural Storm player, I think that's really important as well. You know, he came there with uh, Glenn Lazarus and you know the other forwards that they had there at the time. And they really did build an intimidating forward pack, I would say, between him, Lazarus, and... Um, their, is it their Papua New Guinean? Is it Nikau? Am I pronouncing yeah, that right? Nikau. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Another they champion. they built a, absolutely. They built a very very intimidating forward pack there. And so Robbie Cairns, when we talk about enforcers in rugby league, he was definitely one of them. Um, an out and out rep player during his time there for the Melbourne Storm as well. So there's absolutely no concerns for me picking him on the bench. And again, just to be selected here in this Melbourne Storm side is incredible because they have had. So many amazing forwards. And I do think when we go to our notable, if we do mention notables or if we do mention them on our uh, on our second podcast supplement to this for our B-side, I think when you see someone like Robbie Kearns there and you hear of all the other forwards, 
I think uh, listeners of the podcast are really going to sit back and appreciate um, his selection and, and his career. Mate, a guy that also played 20 tests for the Kangaroos, eight games for New South Wales. Uh, another thing that he's probably better known for than anything was, of course, he was the fellow that fell off the horse in the New South Wales camp when Wayne Pierce took him up there for a bonding session uh, to go riding horses in the Blue Mountains. He came off there. He got done by uh, Adrian Morley over there in that test match. So he holds a number of little moments in rugby league history that we'll never forget. But I think as a player, incredibly underrated Robbie Kearns. And as you said, we're going to mention a lot of guys that are in there our B-side that are just so talented. I think it makes you appreciate just how good Robbie Kearns was. Mate, uh, let's go to Jersey 16 and a guy that it'll probably be a little bit controversial. And once again, I think people don't forget how good, people forget how good this guy was when he was at the Melbourne Storm. Adam Blair, when he left the Storm, he was the best back rower or one of the best back rowers or middles in our game without a doubt. Definitely agree with that statement. I think Adam Blair... From the time he left Melbourne Storm, and he was there for about five or six seasons, I would say he was never the same player. He obviously went to the Tigers. I don't think that worked out for him. He went to the Broncos. I think he rediscovered some of his form there under Wayne Bennett. And then at the Warriors, I don't think he played his best football. 123 games for the Storm, and I think those 123 games were by far the best football we'd ever seen from Adam Blair. And when we go back to our selection criteria, and we're selecting players in their prime. Adam Blair in his prime was scary and possibly the best. And that was another thing. He could play lock, back row, or prop. It didn't matter. He was magnificent no matter what jersey was on his back. That's another underappreciated aspect of Adam Blair. And so when we talk about players being selected in their prime, Adam Blair's, Adam Blair's sorry, prime was not as long as other players' primes were in this storm side. But when he was at his peak, he was absolutely devastating. And that's why... Under our selection criteria, Adam Blair, for us, had to be within outside somewhere. I still remember when the West Tigers signed him, mate, and everyone, it was paraded as one of the signings of the year. You know, it was going to be sensational. And then eight months later, it was the biggest flop signing of the year, essentially. It was crazy, the turnaround that happened, and... It just shows how good he was at the Melbourne Storm. He was unbelievable. Mate, uh, the last guy on our side is... um, champion of our game. One of the toughest I have ever seen. Uh, played for the Melbourne Storm, also played for the North Queensland Cowboys, Dallas Johnson. Um, a game that is built off tough guys. They don't come much tougher, do they? They don't, and I think um, you and I have spoken about it previously. I, I think when we were making this squad, there was some awesome quote you had or something Craig Bellamy said in regards to Dallas Johnson when he first saw him play. Do you remember us discussing that? I don't, to be honest with you. No, I'm shooting a blank uh, on you. Okay, I think it was something like um, he just had such a work ethic or he was so tough where Craig Bellamy said something like, well, I haven't seen this guy play footy, but if he can play half as, half as tough as he is, then he's going to be a Storm player for a long time to come. And Dallas Johnson was a very unorthodox footballer, um, you know, often KO'd, put his body on the line, but he was just so tough and so durable. Under the modern game, he would be taking off for head injury assessments, but uh, I'm, I'm prepared to put out there that Dallas Johnson was concussed and played on a multiple of times throughout his career. Well, mate, you have a look at his Melbourne Storm career. Debuted in 03, left in 09. Um, the least amount of games he played in one season throughout that time was 19. He went 20-plus in, what is it, seven out of eight seasons? I mean, 
you said durable, far out. But he he was just. <laughs> I'd love to know the like, as you said. Obviously, in the modern game, he he played two hundred and twenty first grade games. I'm not sure if he would have got to a hundred first grade games the way that he used to play and the amount of head knocks he used to take. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I think that's the best word to sum it up. But I think another thing that's probably underappreciated about Dallas Johnson is when we look at the Melbourne Storm and when they've been successful, they've always had a workhorse in their lock forward position, be it Dallas Johnson or Dallas Finucan. The thing I would say about Dallas Johnson is he is one of the toughest defenders, but also he was he was a volume defender. Uh, that's probably the wrong explanation. But what I'm getting at is Dallas Johnson wasn't known as the man who will pull off one big hit to change the momentum of a game. He was known as the man that had the same gas tank over 80 minutes, over 90 minutes if he went to Golden Point, and he would just tackle, tackle, tackle. And when you when you look at him, there's just, you know, when you look at how he played the game, sorry, there's no surprises that he was so successful as he was, and there's no surprises why he was, you know, when he was at his peak consistently there in that Queensland and Australian side. Mate, funnily enough, I didn't realise that he only played one game for the Kangaroos. I thought he would have played a lot more, but he was a key cog in that Queensland team for a number of years. He made his debut in 06, played all the way through to 09, 12 games for Queensland. And obviously, this is the best Melbourne side we've picked. And, you know, not a really big surprise here. He left Melbourne at the end of 09. Of course, was the last game that he played for Queensland as well. But 06, 07, 08, 09, he plays 12 games. He wins you know, 66% of them, they won each and every one of those series. So never pulled on a Queensland jersey that didn't lift the shield at the end of that series. Says a lot about uh, Dallas Johnson. Obviously won, um, what, did he, what did he win? One, two, two premierships for the Melbourne Storm. Both were stripped, unfortunately. But uh, just mm. a true champion of our game. I'm, I've got a lot of time for Dallas Johnson. Mate, um, we've got a lot of notables. And we're not going to mention them now. We're going to come back tomorrow uh, for the podcast listeners. And we're going to go through our B team for the Melbourne Storm which, as we said at the start, I'd probably back it in to beat most of the A-teams that we've picked. It is an unbelievable squad, isn't it? Oh, it's it's unbelievable. Like, I, you know, there's there's not many teams where you can make a B-team this strong. Uh, I'm just looking at it now, and like, I don't know if the listeners could tell there, I was a little bit lost for words. I just, I don't know how to describe this. Um, I, I, there's just nothing else like the Melbourne Storm and the success they've had in our game. It's probably underappreciated how great they are, how many premierships they've won, how long they've been on top, how they won in the second year of their existence. We are going to have to go into some great detail in the next podcast, and I'm really excited to go back into this because I think the success the Melbourne Storm have had is underappreciated, and I really hope that we can bring some light to it in our next podcast and really um, give our listeners, or your listeners, sorry, a side of the Melbourne Storm that they might not necessarily have considered so far because a lot of the times we do hear the salary cap jokes or the uh, you know all the jokes of that sort but I do think when it comes to the Melbourne Storm and this next podcast I really want to get into it with you and give the fans a chance to really appreciate just how amazing it is what the Melbourne Storm have been able to do Clarky mate thanks for joining us once again looking forward to diving into that one tomorrow I'm really looking forward and thanks to our listeners for tuning in we'll see you next time
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.